also writes a silver fox. Today I'm actually going to interview someone pretty interesting. Um, it's my first visual artist um, <laughs> um, that I'm interviewing for the podcast. Um, and her name is Elizabeth Decker. And I woke up this morning trying to remember how long ago I met Elizabeth. So I'll say this. I have a book on my shelf um, called The Melancholy Girls, which is a book of drawings and poetry. And the artist and uh, author is none other than Elizabeth Decker. So I opened it for the first time in a long time. And it has an inscription, which answers so many questions. It says, thanks for telling it like it is and for sharing your personal story, Elizabeth, 2005. So it was about 15 years ago that she um, inscribed this uh, book and gave it to me. So my recollection um, has been solidified, to be honest. Um, So I met Elizabeth in a writing class that I think was called Finish Your Damn Book or Finish Your Damn Novel or something similar. It was the class, the impetus that got me to finish um, Judged, uh, which used to be called Qualified Immunity. I'm trying to think. I took the class because I was struggling to finish the book. I started the book, I feel like, in the 90s. And um, it took a long time to write. I think because, um, as I mentioned before, um, there's a bit of an autobiographical nature to it. And it's sort of difficult to sort of excavate those kinds of uh, hard things about the past. But I think it's what our uh, 20-something selves do to sort of move through the pain of a childhood that had um, some abuse and neglect, I think. And um, so there was a class, I don't know, maybe there were 10 of us? Who knows? I could probably look through the email and find out. Um, In the class, um, led by an author named uh, Rachel Resnick. And um, I don't actually enjoy workshopping um, for writing. It's not my thing. I would never do it uh, again. But um, you only learn by experience. And it was such an interesting class. So every week, I think we had to write a certain number of words, a certain number of pages, um, email them to everyone, and then we would critique each other's work um, when we met. We started meeting in some warehouse, like on Pico Boulevard or Venice Boulevard, um, off La Brea. So uh, near South LA, and then we moved to, I don't know, some Jewish community center later for the remainder of the classes. I have no idea why we moved. That's kind of weird now that I think about it. But I remember it so distinctly because I was really committed to finishing my book. So I get in my car and drive to wherever to um, do these classes. And I had actually just moved. So I just moved from right near where the classes were to um, a different part of Los Angeles. And so it was a weekly sort of drive back to where I used to be um, in service of finishing that book. So um, the book went out into the world and you all got it. So that that part of it worked out. And, um, but Elizabeth was one of the people I met in the class. I don't know why we clicked. I don't even know if I remember anybody else from the class. Um, But, we did, and um, she actually introduced me to another artist. 
So she is a visual artist. At that time, she did, and she'll talk about it, I guess, um, work on paper bags. It was the most interesting thing. She would cut out paper bags and draw these images of different women. And I went to a show of hers um, in Los Feliz, Silver Lake, somewhere somewhere northeast uh, part of Los Angeles, where I don't go very often, clearly. Um but it's, I went to next to show at the Cactus Gallery. I actually still get emails from the gallery. I still buy art from the gallery. And um, she was in a joint show, maybe three or four women artists. And um, it, was, uh, it was lovely. It was lovely and delightful. And we've stayed in touch since then. Um, she did leave uh, LA and moved to Austin, Texas. So, you know, I'm from New York and I'm used to a group of core people and uh, living in a city like New York, a lot of transient people. And it's the same for LA. I'm not saying she's transient, but people do leave. Um, the cost of living here is prohibitive. And often there are opportunities elsewhere that are not available here. So she moved to Austin. I guess she'll tell you when. I don't know. Maybe 10 years ago? No. Wow. I don't know. I don't have a good idea. But um, last year, I went to her show. So she had a show in L.A. She does, um, she has a gallery in L.A. But that uh, represents her work. But there was a show that they do yearly, obviously not this year, um, in the South Bay that's 101 um, different artists or different artists' work because there's some repetition. And I remember she said, I'm coming to L.A. I said, okay, I'm going to come to your show. And... Um, I was looking on the website one day or something and her artwork was on the front of the booklet for the show and I thought, wow, look at what she's achieved. This is so amazing. I'm so excited for her. So we got to hang out at the show um, and it was a lovely experience. It's so lovely to have people in your life for years and years and um, she's one of those people I am introducing you to. You know, you meet them, <laughs> maybe I collect them. But what it is is that I get them or they get me and it's lovely to have those kinds of relationships. So um, I'm going to ask her about the Melancholy Girls and what made that and um, it's still here. I'm looking at it right now. Um, if there's still copies, I'll include a link in the show notes, but I imagine it's one of those books on Amazon. It's going to cost you $9,000 because there's four copies left um, in hardcover. So uh, let's get ready to talk to Elizabeth Decker, visual artist. Hi, this is Amy Austin, who also writes as Sylvie Fox. Today, I'm going to speak with the amazing and wonderful Elizabeth Decker. She's an artist I met a thousand years ago. Uh, my age is showing. Hey, Elizabeth, how are you? I'm great. How are you? It's so nice to be able to connect this way. I'm so flattered. <laughs> I love how our relationship is just, it keeps, it keeps popping up throughout the decades. I mean, it's been so interesting, right? No, it's one of the, no, it's one of the things I was thinking about. So this morning before, I will say this before interviews, I usually prep because I didn't for the first couple and then I couldn't remember how I met people and that wasn't great. So I do know how I met you. Um, we met in a class, I think the class was called finish your damn book or something similar. Um, because I was trying to finish, um, the first of the Casey court series, um, That's right. which is uh, yeah. And then you were working on, so I don't know what you were working on because I have a booklet for you, but that came out well before the class. 
Um, but I feel like you were working on a memoir. Is that true? I don't actually- Yes. What the hell was it called? <laughs> uh, Somewhere in an email, it probably exists. Because I remember we had to send out like round robin, like sheets or pages weekly or something similar to that. I have that book. I have that manuscript still. And as a matter of fact, I brought it to London with me. When did I leave? 2018. To specifically mm-hmm. work on it, to re-edit it and look at it. And I think it was called you know, starving for love. And it was all about a little girl um, who was starving for the attention of her debonair father, you know, and then tried uh, to, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. she had a lot of suicide attempts to garner his attention, right? Um, yeah. Very, very yeah. much like the modern Harold and Maude, I guess, is what Rachel, Rachel Resnick was our, was our writing Instru- coach. Instructor. Uh, yeah. Instructor. Yeah. So suicide, something happy. <laughs> oh, so I don't it's as a, black, a person who remember doesn't... remember it was a black comedy <laughs> no it's funny. So funny it was funny no I know the thing is I don't write I don't write about happy topics so I'm the, I'm the wrong person I'm like oh yeah it sounds like right up my alley so I'm gonna ask you the first question I guess I'm gonna ask you is because I was looking on my shelf so um I moved um as the listeners know I'm in the middle of a divorce and I moved two years ago and I, of all the things that, so I winnowed out a bit, but your book, Melancholy Girl, sits on my shelf. And so what, how did that come to be? Because it's still here um, all these years later, and I have no idea how it came to be. I have one, and it's inscribed to me. I just, I texted you the picture. But um, what's the story behind that? Wow. Well, um Gosh, this was a labor of love. This was really the beginning of my art career, I think. You know, it was really the beginning of putting something out there uh, for people to read, for people to look at, for people, you know, just off my desk into someone else's hands. And um, I had always been writing poetry and little short stories and things like that since I was a child. It was um, a way for me to sort of mediate what was going on in myself, Uh within myself and and my reaction to the outside world. And that's been a theme throughout my creative life. Um, So, oh boy, when was that even done? 2000? I think 2000. I was just looking at it. So I I, I literally just opened it today because I was going to ask you, well, there's an inscription to me, but Mm -hmm. um, I think, oh, it has a dedication to my mom. Deborah and and Valerie, the believers. Mm-hmm. Yes, those were all the people that were supporting me behind this. And um, oh, it says two thousand two. Yeah, two thousand two. But it was probably I probably started it in two thousand two thousand one, and it was an accumulation of a lot of poems that had been written prior to that. Just throughout my life, I kept a giant folder. A few things had been published, but it was never my intention to, you know, create a book of poetry. And and then my son and I got in a terrible car accident, and he was about two and a half. We were driving up from Los Angeles to San Francisco, and um, the tire blew. The tire blew, and right before the tire blew... The driver was having issues or something. My son was having issues in the back seat of the car. So I crawled from the front seat into the back seat and took him out mm-hmm. of his car seat and put him on my lap to 
nurture him, to coddle him. Right. right. We're going north on the five. And all right. of a sudden there were a few bumps. The car felt a little off. And my friend who was driving, Virginia at the time, screamed, oh, my God. And the next thing I knew, I heard screeching and crashing. And I guess in that moment, I put Max on the ground of the car, the floor of the car, the back seat of the the floor of the back wow. seat of the car and covered my body right. with them. And the next thing I know, we woke up in a field 75 feet away from the vehicle. And oh my gosh. According to viewers, I flew out of the car. The top was ripped off because it was, you know, spiraling down the freeway and mm-hmm. then off the freeway and into a fence that I guess, I don't know, um, farmland or something like that. And yeah. somewhere along the way, the top was, was ripped off and we flew out of the back seat because, of course, we weren't wearing. Buckled in, yeah. Yeah, we weren't buckled in. And I think that saved his life. You know, because had I left Max in the car seat, uh, he probably would have been decapitated. I know that's such a bad story. It was really intense. Um, But we both survived. And and there was a lot of healing that happened after that. And I didn't go back to work for obvious reasons immediately. One, I couldn't drive. And two, I think I was just scared. And... um, I started doing these charcoal illustrations of women, um, just one after another, in this sort of moody, thoughtful, almost deflated sense of self. And Mm -hmm. when I finished this series of illustrations, I had a friend, Deborah Ann, who said, "Um, these are really wonderful. You should do a coffee table book. And she goes, but I think it would be more powerful if you connected them to words. And I said, well, I write, you know, so Mm -hmm. together, she's sort of the producer in all this really was instrumental in helping me move through this process. Because as a creative, it's, it's a lot of fun to write. It's a lot of fun to draw. It's a lot of fun to paint. It's a lot of fun to do all that sort of stuff, right? It is. It's, it's, it's not so much fun to put it all together and then have a product and go out and sell it. So she helped me. My friend and I call it the drudge work of artistic life. Yeah, yeah. But it's part of the it's part of our role if we want to get anything done these days, right? Right. And of course, this world is a lot different than it was in two thousand, you know. So we have the internet and all kinds of forms, social media to market things. But back then we didn't. And you know, I produced this book and it was very specific how I wanted it to look, how I wanted it to feel. So I wanted 100 pound paper, very glossy, an image on each page, followed by the poem, spiral bound so it could open flat and people could just be like, oh, I really feel like this melancholy girl today. And just open it up and leave it there or carry it around right. with you or maybe jot down some notes inside it somewhere. I wanted it to be kind of interactive and a friend. Mm -hmm. I think you achieved that. That's so interesting (laughs) because I do think you achieved that. Well, no, because I have, I have, I used to, well, I used to buy a lot of like coffee table books from photographers and the like, and you're right with the perfect bound, then you can't ever leave it open. Um, And that's true because sometimes I'm like, oh, I want to look more at that image. And then I just have to put in a, I don't know, a bookmark or something. Mm -hmm. So I... I Oh, I thought you were yeah, saying no, something. Sorry. 
No, no, no. So, but it it does happen. I see what you're saying. Well, to me, it's always been about creating a platform to open up a conversation, right? To engage with mm-hmm. somebody else. And one of the reasons I wrote the book, The Melancholy Girls, is I was really identifying and embracing all my many moods, which you know, judging from the title, weren't so great at that time. You know, I wrote about a lot of sad stuff or a lot of wishful thinking and, and yeah, it was moody. But I wanted everybody to know that they too could feel moody, that they weren't alone, that if they were feeling no, angry no. or if they were feeling sad or if they were feeling left out or if they were feeling in love or if they were giving birth to a child and experiencing that for the first time, which I think was the last one in the book, um, mm-hmm. friendship, all of that, that people could relate to it. And, um, and it was because of this book, after going out and, you know, doing the whole speaking thing, right. And different, right. different venues, bookstores and, um, and women's groups and things like that. Um, I created these workshops that, First, we're called Moody Me <laughs> because okay. it was supposed to help you celebrate all your moods and then later became Create Your Story um, because I was told oh, when okay. I left Los Angeles and came to Texas that Moody Me wouldn't fly because, you know, I don't know, women in Texas don't like to identify as being moody. I don't, okay, it's, who knows? <laughs> it's, it's, it's derogative, you know? Uh-huh. So Create Your Story seemed to kind of embrace all that one want to do if they went to a workshop to explore their internal story through powerful words and bold colors, right? And, you know, you've been following me. That, so I do that with women. Right. I do it with children. And more recently in the last couple of years, I do it for veterans. So it's, right, been, yeah, it's been really cool um, surprise. All because I I wrote this little book. All because I wrote this little (laughs) book of moodiness. (laughs) No, but sometimes little things can inspire great things. Yeah, and you just got to release it into the world. You just have to release it into the world. It's like let go and then move on and do something else. Very much. It's a lesson I'm working on. So I have a question for you because when I was talking to someone earlier about your art, he asked me if you only paint women. And I was like, I think she, I, was, I would say I, in my estimation, that would be a large majority. And then, but I didn't know why. It's a good question. Um, great observation. And I would say, yes, I mostly do paint women or the essence of a woman, uh, mainly because I am a woman. So I don't know what it would be like to emotionally um, move through the creative process of a, as a man, if that makes any sense. But it's, it's weird that you mention that because a few men have popped up recently and been kind of a surprise where it definitely is not a female face. And I'm like, where did the man come from? Because, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm like, I'm hoping he's around the corner. You know, I'm hoping it's a, man- <laughs> I'm hoping it's a manifestation of what's to come. But um, no, it is specifically, it's specifically female because that's what I identify as a woman. And, um, oof. You know, the faces sometimes become really abstract in, in 
in the work that I've been doing in the last year, it's like, oh, it's not so much a face. But then, sure enough, they could, it's like a balloon or a bunch of scratches <laughs> or maybe it's right. a, a scratched out eye, but only the eye, you know, that's visible. Mm-hmm. So less descriptive as a physical um, face, but still abstract, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Did that answer your question? Does that answer his no, question? I guess because I'm a woman. It does. <laughs> no, it, it does. It was just something he asked me today, and I thought, oh, that's a good question. And then he asked me, he's like, what's the answer? I'm like, well, I'll have to ask her. Um, but it made me laugh. So the other question I had, and I've always wanted to know, so when I met you, the medium that you seemed to primarily be using was paper bags. And I... Yeah. <laughs> So sorry, I didn't mean to startle you, but I wonder how that came to be because the work I have in my house of yours is on canvas and the work I've seen in galleries, you know, is on canvas. Mm -hmm. But when, but even when you were doing some of the COVID uh, art that you were posting on Instagram, it was back to paper bags, but it seems like there had been a long hiatus in between. Yes, that uh, the paper bags have had a revival. Um, in the last, I don't know, within the last year and a half. So let's go back. Why did I start creating on paper bags? Mm -hmm. Back in the early 2000s, I was creating on the paper bags because I met an artist and I believe her name was Susan Anton. Um, I have to to check on that. But she Mm -hmm. was the mother of a friend of mine who our children went to preschool together in Los Angeles. And I remember getting her advice, asking for her advice and showing her my little book. And she's like, these are very beautiful. You should go bigger. You should go bigger. Uh, She goes, it needs to be a bigger story, more faces, more people. And I'm like, huh, how do I do that? Well, at the time I didn't have any money. And, um, and it never occurred to me because I was working mostly with pastels and charcoal to mm-hmm. do anything on canvas because I was working on paper. So like everybody else in Los Angeles, I shopped at Trader Joe's. So I would collect these <laughs> Trader Joe bags. And when I was feeling the need to create something but didn't know what to do or what to create on, I started cutting up the paper bags. I started cutting up the paper bags, ironing the paper bags, and then duct taping the ah. paper bags. And then I would put them on my wall. Um, and we're talking maybe six, seven, eight, 12 paper bags. So some of them could be quite large. And right. I started illustrating lifestyle portraits, I guess, what was going on around me. So like the bar scene in Los Angeles was one of the first ones that I did. Not that I was going out to a bar all the time. I think it's because I miss going out to a bar because <laughs> here I was a person that had moved to Los Angeles to continue my um, acting career, right? right? And then I ended up having a baby, and that kind of stopped. I mean, my life stopped moving in the direction that I thought it was going to move in. And that's why right. writing sort of took over and the art sort of took over because these are things that I could do at my own time when my child was asleep, at night, after work, whatever, right? I had more control Absolutely. over it. I had more control over it. And um, I would create these these lifestyles and then lifestyle portraits. So the one of the bar and then um, that's on my website. And then another one when um, all the news broke about the 
abuse that was going on within the Catholic Church. Right. right yeah. And I was very affected by that. So I created this huge mural of that. And then another time I was in London and I was at the 100 Club um, mm-hmm. listening to Yarma Kalkunin and uh, Jack Cassidy. Very intimate place. It's the 100 Club because only 100 people fit in there. And it's very famous. Right. Everyone, everyone who's anyone has ever played in this club. And I remember that Yarma and Jack stopped and said, you know what, this is so not cool. We can't wait to get to Paris because you guys have not stopped talking. You know, here was an intimate musical evening, right? With uh-huh. two amazing people that are sharing stories and, and, and singing, but everyone's talking as if they're at a bar. It's not that sort of place. And they called, they called the audience on that. And I was really affected by that. So I came home and created another one of the musician and she stood out front playing a guitar as all the rest of the people were behind her, um, ignoring her. So all these social, okay. all these social environments I'm creating are people in the same place, but not interacting at all. Okay. You know, very much into what it is that they're doing with disregard to what's going on around them. And I don't know if that was a feeling that I got being in Los Angeles. Maybe I did at that time. I felt very fish out of water, you know, as mm-hmm. I as I grew into Los Angeles and into my life of being a mom and all that I was trying to do to keep my head above water. You know, I met some very cool people, some great people, and um, I love Los Angeles. And I'd go back in a minute. But um, mm-hmm. at the time, I think I was just expressing the isolation and loneliness within crowds. And isn't it interesting that now... Yes, we, we can't be in a crowd. So right. I came to Austin and all those paintings sold. They sold first in Los Angeles, a few of them. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then whatever I had left sold here immediately. And then I was kind of done with it. You know, I was just done with doing the paper bags. I'm moving on. Right. So I started painting on canvas and, and all kinds of other things. But only recently when I went to Cuba a year ago, or a year and a few months ago, I, if right. I, I could still get in from, from the United States, believe it or not, I was like within the last week before it was now closed oh, to again, yeah. said, yeah, said tourism or, you know, mm-hmm. special events. But I was so moved by the people of Cuba and the art and the creative ways that people were able to work down there, you know, painting on walls, painting on streets, painting on wood, painting on whatever. So when I came back, I wanted to communicate my love for Cuba. And it seemed the best way to do that would be on the paper bags. Right. Right. Going back to the, yes, that's so, that's so interesting. So I have a question because I've never asked you this. Yeah. So do you have a lot of formal art training? No. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I never, I never ask. I never knew because to me, painting feels daunting. Um, so last year, okay, so primarily I write, I knit, I do other things artistically and creatively, but I needed an outlet that had no, how can I say this? Either a no dollar attached to it, or b sort of no consequences. Mm-hmm. So I took this. So, you know, I spend the summers in um, Budapest and some other parts of the year back before COVID. And I decided to do just 
painting um, within, she had a woman who was at the little painting salon in Budapest um, for, I don't know, maybe six, eight weeks or something like that um, over this late summer. And it was so freeing to do it, but also apparently painting is exceedingly difficult. Um, and I know that my, my uh, specialty is not light and color and all those things, but um, without training, how did you, I guess you're self-taught. I mean, I don't know. I'd like it, I guess I'd have to work on it because it just seems to me, how can I say this? I don't know, color, blending, brush strokes, all of those things are way more difficult than I would have thought, or I don't think I ever thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea how to do any of that, how to mix colors, the light, the strokes. If anybody wanted to have an intellectual uh, uh, conversation <laughs> with me about that, I'd be like, what, what, what? Here's how it happened for me. Um, I was in Chicago, I think when I really, you know, I was always creative, always doodling, drawing something. You know, I thought my brother had all the talent. He was very talented, is talented, but he didn't pursue mm-hmm an uh, artistic life. Um, I was feeling really dark and I was living in Chicago and I was probably writing a lot of that poetry at the time that ended up in the melancholy girls years later. (laughs) But I was seeing a therapist uh, at the time who told me I needed to do something with my nights, not sit alone. uh, (laughs) Right not do not do unhealthy things right right and she goes why don't you try why don't you try buying some paints or some pastels and some paper and just just work on things just just create for no other reason other than to create with no attachment and this is important to the outcome of what you think right. it should be or what you think it should become or that it needs to go anywhere other than coming back to my office so I can look at it. <laughs> so every week, you know, every week I would create something. I would do a self-portrait. I would, I would, I would look at, I would set up um, still lifes mm-hmm. with apples and bottles of wine and cheese or whatever. And I would sit there and try and draw them. And again, this, I'm working with pencil and pastels and charcoals because that was, that was the tool that I was most used to, right? writing, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can handle that. And then I like the pastels because I could blend the colors, right? And, right. Uh, and learn about that. Um, when I started painting, it was a whole nother ballpark, but I would, I would bring these portraits and these abstracts and whatever I would create, I would bring to my therapist and she would praise me, you know, not mm-hmm. that it was technically good, but that I did something, right. you know, that I did something. Right. And um, I remember feeling so proud and bringing all these drawings and things down to my parents on a visit. Uh, and they were shocked and like, oh, my God, you know, these are so sad and dark. And, <laughs> and then I didn't, I, didn't do, I didn't do anything for a while again, because then I felt very um, shamed. Self-conscious? Yeah, uh... self-conscious, shamed, embarrassed. Uh, and, I, and those were all the feelings that I was trying not to feel. Right. So, um, yeah, so I continued on, but, but the journey for me has been always a way to first heal Mm -hmm. and mediate everything that's going on. All the, all the stories that are really clogging me up inside things I can't figure out, you know, whether they're relationships or my age or, 
um, my place in the world or my success or lack of or whatever, all these things that we struggle with, right? And try right. to dissect. So it's first that. And then it's my, um, um, oh my gosh, what's the word? It's my relationship to the external world and what's going on out there and how I'm being mm -hmm. affected by that, right? So right. for me, it's first healing and then creating and then mm -hmm. letting go. And letting go means that I've reached the end of my story. Like I've gotten out whatever I need to get out. I've healed. I've made right. peace. I've come to terms with it. And then as my career, it's interesting, it has become a career now. It was never supposed right. to be a career, but it most certainly has now. And as that's evolved, um, it's been interesting to see the styles change and the work change and the size change. You know, I went from very small mm. to very, very big. And you did. You went, did uh, go big. Uh huh. And now I'm back down to like, I don't know, 16 by 16 or 20 by 20 inches, which is really small. And the reason I had to just come back to that size was I was asked to create these two portraits for somebody for their 50th birthday. And, you know, it's, it's, a it's a financial constraint, you know, for some people, not everybody can have, well, and, and I guess the size of their home, not everyone can have a big right. seven foot painting, you know, in right. their house. So it has to, it has to work for her. And that was really interesting because I got really small again. Like, how do I express myself when I'm so used to just really throwing paint on the canvas at this point, right. you know, just being free and letting it drip and seeing what color works and then painting over it. Now I'm in a smaller space. And that was a really interesting thing that happened, you know, during COVID summer isolation of 2020. I know we're all still here, but that was I my know. summer is creating this series of smaller, smaller oh. paintings. Um, right. Two, which I had to literally embrace two women who I don't know intimately, their essence in order to portray them because I'm not, I'm not painting from a photograph, right? Right, right, right. I'm trying to create their emotional essence of who they are. And this is so, yeah, this is yeah. so interesting because you're right about the size. So last year, um, you had, well, you've done a lot, of, but last year we, I went to a show that, um, a large show, um, in the South Bay and, um, the, the canvases that you had there were quite large. Mm -hmm. Um, I will yeah. say it. And I, and I realized, um, yeah, this is true. This is so, this is true. So the other thing I wanted to ask is, so I was intrigued. I'm still, I cannot tell you how fascinated I Mm. was with the work that you did this summer. I don't know what you ended up calling it. You did tell me, but I don't remember. Cause I, in my head, I call it your friends. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I'll have the link to, to your Instagram, but it was so fascinating. It was like pizza with my friends or wine with my friends. And it was just, it was like, it was like ingenious. It was like, it was like your work, but like little people, um, <laughs> that sort of to me like represented the isolation. Cause you know, I mean, I wanted to be doing a lot of things with my friends um, this summer that I wasn't at all. It was just me and a 10-year-old kid. And um, it was sort of, 
it I don't know. It it charmed me. I'll just say that. It charmed me. I found it just very charming. I was like, oh, but look, there's Elizabeth and she has friends. I'm here home by myself, but she's out, you know, um, with her friends and she's having wine and she's having cheese. And it looks, it just felt delightful. Thank you. Um, Thank you so but, much. Did I got you? A, I mean, I go ahead. Yeah. Oh, that's all. I'm just, there's the pause. So I get, I, I stop. Um, I got so much love from that series and I am so happy that it made people happy because let's face it, it's been dark, you know, it was a dark time. And I came back from Florida in March when I left Austin, we were hearing about it. Like maybe South by Southwest was being canceled. Maybe it wasn't, you know, I decided Mm. to go to Florida to see my mother and my brother was flying in from London. So in order to see him, I had to be there in Sarasota. That was the only opportunity that we could all be together. And looking back, thank God we were because, you know, then shit really hit the fan and Italy started closing and then this started closing and now my brother can't get to South America. I'm like, can I get back to Austin? You know, and the reality Mm -hmm. started to hit that there's a world pandemic and it's serious, of course. And eventually we all got back to where we needed to be. But when I came back to Austin, the streets were empty. The the buildings were closed up and nobody would pick me up at the airport. Nobody would come and see me. They're like, oh, you were on an airplane. And I was like, yeah, two or three. And so I basically (laughs) sat in my house alone for, oh gosh, at least a month, if not two, people would bring groceries to me and drop them, you know, at the bottom of my mm. stairs outside my house. And, um, right. and I was kind of spinning out of control because I live by myself. Right. But this, right. Was di- this was different. You know, this was very different. I could, I didn't have the choice to go out anymore, to have friends over, to socialize, to go to a restaurant. And I was kind of wigging out a little bit. And I thought, mm-hmm. I always thought that I was going to make another paper bag uh, portrait because we had a, a studio tour coming up, which of course didn't happen because it was in May. So that was canceled. But I right. thought that I would create, you know, a huge paper bag lifestyle portrait of what was going on um, in the world, which became this huge COVID piece. Uh, right. And, but, but I'm lazy and I like to procrastinate, <laughs> you know, and I figured I got all the time in the world, so there's no rush. Right. And so I'm, I'm walking constantly spinning in my house past this pile of paper bags, you know, they're just sitting in the middle of my floor, no furniture, just right. the paper bags. I'll get to you. I'll get to you. No, I don't want to hang out with you right now. And then when I finally sat down and started cutting them up, I got that far, you know, and Mm -hmm. then I'm like, I don't feel like doing it. And I cast them aside. Well, the next day I was walking Mm -hmm. by the pile again and I cut up several of the bags wrong, not how I usually cut them. So they look like bodies to me. You know, they look like, they look like paper dolls. So the first Mm -hmm. one I did, I just arranged them on the, on my floor with a tea set and some boots and socks and jewelry and laid them there, right? Just laid them flat on the floor. I didn't flat Stanley. Here we are in Austin. (laughs) And, and, uh, 
And I posted that and I got such a great reaction. And then lazy Elizabeth was like, well, you're certainly not going to set them up on the porch because that would require too much work. Well, <laughs> how much work would that really create? You know, and I did because that's where my friends and I used to hang out. We'd the porch hangs, you know, everybody hangs out right. on the porch yeah. in Austin. The weather's always nice. Drink wine, hang out, talk. And um, so I put them in our chairs, chair I usually sit in, mm-hmm. the chair my friends sit in. So I created that image. And then I'm like, it was a rainy Sunday. I'm like, what if they played Parcheesi or Monopoly, <laughs> right? right? So now now I'm stepping it up some notches. Now I'm hanging the hats from, from invisible strings from the ceiling so they're suspended over the, over the head, you know, and propping right. them up in chairs and still same two, same two personalities, right? Right. Uh, one's a little more bohemian and one's, one's a little chicer if you look at the picture. Uh-huh. At least she's got Gucci shoes on. And, and <laughs> they remain the same throughout. And then weeks later, they started venturing outside and they were in trees reading books and they were out flying kites and they were doing all kinds of things. So I think right. the final one was on my birthday, which was just, you know, the two of them with cake and wilted balloons all at their feet. Right. And it was <laughs> kind of sad. And <laughs> But it was from that image that I got the call to do these portraits for the 50th birthday. Uh, Isn't that funny? Wow. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. No, I I really, really enjoyed I mean, I really enjoyed them because there wasn't, well, I mean, I'm sure we all had similar summers and that, well, at least for me, there was not a lot of, I don't want to say not a lot of joy. It was just, you know, the days people call me and they're like, what day is it? And I'm like, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I lost just... all I, I lost all reality. You know, I had no idea what day it was, what time it was. All that went out the window. It was weird. No, it's the first it was weird because my son's usually well, we're usually not here and he's usually in camp and so there's a lot of structure. And we were living with like out any structure. You know, we were walking around like on Melrose and with all the shops closed and no traffic and it was just um otherworldly. Mm-hmm. But um I appreciate that you had time to create because one of the things that my friends and I have talked about is a lot of us felt sort of sapped of creativity. And I don't know, it's not so depression or I don't even know, ennui, a certain ennui, but it was just a certain sort of, I don't know, inability to like think of something to create because the world just seems so chaotic. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciate that you <laughs> were able to create despite the chaos or because of it or, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm surprised too. I like I said, I was walking around these bags for weeks and not being able to do anything. I certainly wasn't painting. You know, mm-hmm. the painting didn't come for me for months. And No, and we yeah, we had the same. I mean, a lot of authors and I talked about this cuz um a friend of mine had to submit a book to an editor and it was going to be late or early or whatever it was. And the editor was like, "Uh, my plate's empty." <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, nobody's turned anything in. Um, so that it was just um, interesting. And actually, I had a similar thing that happened in the fall. I emailed the editor and she was like, you have no idea how empty my plate is. And I was like, wow. I was like, it was everything for me to finish this. And it took way longer than it normally would have. But um, a lot of people felt sapped of creativity, which we all found ironic because we were all home. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, you're home and with more time than you've ever had. Yes, but yet there was a paralysis, you know? That's yes. what I experienced, just this paralysis and 
Um, I, I, still I, don't feel, know. I still feel that way, you know, not every day anymore, but hmm. I still, I still get into those spaces and, um, I get anxious and, and uh, a lot of times I can work through my anxiety, you know, in the creative mm-hmm. process. And then other times I can't. And I have learned that if I can't, don't. <laughs> Just don't. I know. Don't push it. But it's, don't push it. it. Oh my God. But how many years did it take you to learn that? Because I'm just at that point where um, I was talking to a friend last night who's uh, also a writer. Um, she writes, well, books and screenplays. And um, we were just talking last night and she was just like, well, if you, you know, when I can't do it, I just don't do it. But it took us so many years because I felt like, especially early on, like career wise, it's like, got to write, got to, you know, got to do this thing. And whatever I'm feeling, like, I just got to push through. Um, and now I give myself a little more space. And she asked me, she's like, how are you doing that? I'm like, well, I've lowered my word count. And if it doesn't come, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what my uh, motto's been? It is. You know what my motto's been lately? And I don't know how positive this is going to sound, so people <laughs> might get upset. But it's, I have lowered the bar. I have lowered the bar because if I lower the bar low enough mm-hmm. and get it done, then I'm not disappointed. It's the getting done part that I, is a win for me. Like this porch, my porch at my house, mm-hmm. major, major project. And it was so distressed and this porch has been needed to be, it's, it's needed a new coat of paint forever, forever, for seven years, right. ever since I've lived here. And only, only this summer did I start. So it's taken me a very long time with the power washing and this. And a lot of, a lot of what kept me from it was, oh my God, look at all those pieces of wood I have to paint. Look at all those tiny right. pieces like on the railing. I got to do all that. And then I have to do the under, I have to get all the paint off for someone told me I had to power wash it. I have to, what? You know, I'm like, this project is way too big for me. I don't want to do it. But when I lowered the bar to just get it done, just do it. Right. And I just went and bought paint and started rolling and slapping. And sure, I power washed and I got most of the first coat of paint off. But I didn't care whether there was some still left on there. I just simply didn't care. I just wanted it done. And now I couldn't be happier because it looks so much better. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, like, I've uh, learned for art, you know, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And I had this conversation actually with a, well, a filmmaker like a year ago. Um, he was having difficulty letting something go. And I was like, I've had this experience, but at some point, if you would like people to see your movie, you're going to have to let it go. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Once it's out there, it's out there. But <laughs> yeah, then you're, then you're, then you're open to the critique should somebody want to do that. But, you know, my work is very emotional and all I really want from it is a place that allows other people to engage in conversation. Like I have my reasons for creating something. I have my story, but you might look at something and think, have a completely different reaction to it. I want to hear about that. I want to hear what your story is. I want to hear what your reaction is, how it makes you feel. And then I can share mine too. And then, then we come to some common ground, right? How can we not, Right. you know, right. because we're sharing the, the, the human condition of joint experiences of emotions, right? We're all mm-hmm. connected through our stories. And I really believe so that. I'm gonna, 
No, so I'm going to ask you this because um, it was asked of me several months ago and I had to really sit and think about it. So um, somebody asked me um, after X number of books, I don't know, 20 books or whatever. She was like, what is the story that you're trying to tell? And I looked at her, I was like, I'm trying to tell a story. Because <laughs> um, in my head, you know, it's many different stories. And she was like, no, what is the story that you're trying to tell? And I really had to sit and think about it. And I've actually now asked a lot of different artists, friends about it, because I didn't, I, I don't know, I haven't really thought of people's work as a whole, except for, you know, dead artists, where at that point mm-hmm. you look back and you go, oh, here's the thread, the through line, the theme or whatever. But now I'm asking living artists, what is the story you're trying to tell? It's because someone asked me. Um, so I have to ask because I feel, how can I say this? With your work specifically, I feel that there's a strong through line thread. Um, at least that's my sense of it. So what is the story you're trying to tell? It's a really good question. Um, I have... I'm trying, I have always tried, and I will always continue to try and tell the truth. And I don't think it gets any more complicated than that, you know, or easy, or Uh I'm just trying to tell the truth. And my truth is in the moment, and I create in the moment, right? My truth Uh for another painting is the truth in that moment. The ability to share and share the story and listen to your story is your truth, right? So I'm just trying to present the truth as I know it. That's so interesting because I think that, well, for some artists, um, that is the basis. And it's actually the basis, I think, that most comedians, that's their standard, where they want to tell the truth. Like they're, you know, whatever the jokes or whatever the thing they are, the through line is that they're really trying to tell the truth of their story. Um, And so that's so interesting because I would say that at least from talking to writers, they have some theme they're trying to put forward, um, whether it's, I don't know, women in jeopardy. I mean, it could be anything, but people have more of a a theme, I think. Mm. And I don't know whether or not, I'm going to have to think about that Um, because one of the things I have focused on and I hear you about truth and I've thought about that and it's, um, it's interesting. My friends and I've talked about it because I'm not sure that readers always want the truth. Um, And we've, we've hashed over whether or not, and this is, this is maybe particular to reading or books that people are looking for an immersive fantasy experience sometimes Mm. in books. And so truth is not what they're looking for, which is so interesting to me. Sure, because, so sure. truth is what, it's what I'm looking for in a book, but I, I may not be the standard reader. And I real I've come to that conclusion, uh, different, that's a different conversation, but I hadn't thought about it, but I think for like movies or books or some of those kinds of things, people are looking for an immersive fantasy element. And that's actually not what I'm looking for. So um, it's been, it's been interesting to think about that, but I guess, but well, you're, you're me, not that kind of artist. No, yeah. let me put it this way. In my experience as an artist, what I mean by telling the truth is I can't not tell the truth. Like I can't paint something right. that's false, which is why it's right. really difficult to accept that commission job because right. now I'm on trying to create someone else's story, right? Right. I have to really get involved mm-hmm. with the person in order to do it myself to have it come out as them, but in my style. <laughs> right. right right yes exactly <laughs> so 
So, uh, you know, and what I've discovered is they usually like two eyes, a nose, a mouth, a face, you know, a whole face and some hair, you know, that's right. Not, that's not, that's not often how I would do it, you know. So there's a there's a collaboration that happens when you're commissioned to do a piece. It's been a real learning curve for me over the summer with these two pieces. So that's been <laughs> that's been interesting. So interesting. But um, and I guess the truth is the freedom, you know, being allowed, allowing yourself mm -hmm. the freedom to be able to move through it the way you need to move through it, right? Right. Yes. without any <laughs> attachment to the outcome oh, oh we're still working on that so uh, can I ask I this I'm thinking I'm thinking about this because I'm looking at the melancholy girls just sitting on my table where I'm sitting okay. and then I'm looking at the wall behind me with um, a canvas of yours and I realize that over time my you know perception is that you have gone from more concrete to more abstract was that deliberate or is that just how it came to be I think it's how it came to be. I don't think I do anything deliberately. I really don't. You know, I have, I have no idea. And if I do have an idea for something that I want to paint, I'm often really discouraged when I actually start to paint it because I can't. So what I've learned is that everything that comes out of me is emotionally driven. And Petra, mm -hmm. who you met, Petra in Los Angeles, right. who is the director of the Gloria Delson Contemporary Arts Gallery, and also my my art rep out there, she loves to call me um, a psychological portrait artist. A psychological oh, portrait artist. And I said, psychotic or psychological? <laughs> and she, said, Sorry. <laughs> she said, psychological, Elizabeth. She goes, because you create these emotional portraits, not necessarily of myself, because if you look at my body of work, it's not all me, 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 me. You know, a lot of artists, right. but, but, but they're women. And right. they're usually faces or figures, but it's what's happening emotionally. And it might not even, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. So definitely yeah, it, starts, okay. it starts within in me, you know, and then it comes mm -hmm. out. And, and a lot of the times, just simply because I didn't know how to paint, you know, you go back to the technical thing because I'm not trained. I would just do right. layer after layer after layer after layer after layer after layer after layer until something appeared that I could live with, you know, that I was comfortable with that, that, and I paint over a lot of paintings. So if there's something you were really digging, like, you know, a year ago or two months, two, two months ago, or, or three years ago, <laughs> chances are it doesn't exist anymore because I got bored with it and painted over it. And to me, that just adds another layer to the story. Right. Right. Just another layer. This is, so you, this is so interesting because, um, this is something that um, I talk about with writer friends often. It's, I have, we, we, we will come to the world with a book idea and then you sit down to write it and it's never, I don't say not as good, but not what you envision. And obviously you're the only person who can convey that, but it's never quite as rich, as full as, I don't even have a great way to describe it as what you imagined it would be. And I'm going to be honest, that gap is where all the frustration is because in my head it's this beautiful story about whatever it is mm -hmm. and in reality I said to my friend yesterday I feel like a plumber and I put the pipes in and I put the pipe fittings in and you know I soldered it but it doesn't feel like this eloquent beautiful flowing thing which is how I see it in my head versus you know this 
mechanics work on paper but that's a personal thing but it's 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 a huge it's 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 not even a knowing doing gap because i don't know how but it's it's interesting that gap and i don't know i don't know maybe there's an artist who ends where they start i have no idea i've not met them but how do you overcome that or does it frustrate you or do you just live with it oh yeah it totally frustrates me and that frustration can ruin a painting you know and mm-hmm. I can kick myself and be like, why couldn't you just walk away? You know, why couldn't you just, do, why did you have to have a temper tantrum on the canvas? And well, that's just how it happens. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then I might let it sit for a while and I'll go back to it. And because of that, something new will, will, will appear. Something new will happen, right? It's mm-hmm. all about the journey, right? It's all about the journey. Mm-hmm. Everything that we do is all about the journey, right? The journey is the process. It's not like where right. we're going, you know, because right. ultimately we don't know where that is. And I don't know how a painting is going to turn out. I can pretty much assume it's going to be figurative, you know, right. but, <laughs> but, but I don't know. You know, there's a whole series I wanted to do a year ago or two years ago. And it was, uh, um, I was feeling very beautiful and very free and very flowing and I have really great friendships and the world seemed like a fantastic place and I wanted to celebrate that and I wanted to do a whole series of big like 64 by 64 inch canvases of women moving into women like you know a figure and then it moves to the other figure and then it moves to the other figure and it moves to the other right. figure like a dance like the coca-cola commercial of the 70s you know right yeah. we're all together here we are all one people you know and then news broke that you know children were being ripped from their parents at the border of the united states of america Right. And being right. put in cages and all, I, I couldn't believe it. I could not, I could not. I was so upset that mm-hmm. those beautiful paintings became something different of dismembered bodies and mm-hmm. broken legs and disjointment, you know, that mm-hmm. could right. be my expression of, you know, tearing apart someone's family, you know, right. <laughs> uh, and then, and then other people could, other people looked at it and without knowing the story, they don't know what I'm doing. You know, that a lot of this is sometimes politically charged, you know? Right. And, um, and they looked at it and they said, God, that's what motherhood feels like to me. Just oh, wow. okay. scattered yeah. and all over the place. And, you know, you have a piece of me here, you have a piece of me here, you have a piece of me there. And there is a dripping of red and blue on the canvas. Right. And, um, and I didn't intentionally do that, but now looking at it, you could go, Oh boy, girl, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was her, that was her interpretation of it. And I thought that was really cool because it could, it could be that, you know, and I totally identified with her story. So it's all relative, right? Art, Mm -hmm. like I do what I do and because that's what I do and that's how I feel but it might mean something completely different to you. Right. So can I ask you, do you make an effort to, how can I say this, either let in outside influences or keep them out? So for example, like I don't, 
I had a little moment in the last four years where I was on Twitter because I gave it up four years ago. I decided that somebody else could have it and um, he could have it all. So, but I, sometimes I really focus on not having outside influences when I'm trying to write um, because I, I don't know, I get discouraged or I get depressed or there's any number of things that could happen. But I would not say the outside world, because I write about very realistic topics, do influence me. But I try to, how can I, it's like a dam. I try to keep keep control of the flow of information. How do you, do you make any effort to, uh, how can I say, curate what comes in um, before you engage in the creative process? Well, no, I don't. I don't think I'm keeping things out or taking them in. I, I, I do know I look at a lot of art, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day, I'd go to a lot of museums, you know, when we were out bopping around, my big social thing was going to art openings here in town and, you know, mm-hmm. talking to other artists, meeting other artists, seeing friends who are artists, right. you know, that was the big social scene. Um, and I like learning about their techniques. And I've even tried some of their in- techniques, like encaustics, which is right. painting with, you know, pigment and wax you okay. know, on the canvas. And I'd never done that before and was always fascinated. And I tried. And boy, take a blowtorch and <laughs> fire up the wax <laughs> and color and watch it melt all over. That You're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. But I didn't right. continue with that. But I liked what it did. And, of course, you know, I'm influenced greatly by the masters and always have been. You know, I had a grandmother and that took us to the museums all the time in New York City growing up. So I was mm-hmm. exposed to art from an early age. And, you know, Picasso, Matisse, Magdaliani, um, Basquiat, you know, uh, Pola, Jackson Pollock, you know, right. um, all these people influenced me. Do I paint like them? I don't know. I mean, you can see the Picasso or the Matisse in the eyes and, and, you know, in the earlier work, but I think that I've really um, developed into my own style at this point. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. So one of the things I used to do, <laughs> this is pre-COVID, because I used to do this as well, not art opening so much, but I would go to, um, how can I say this? When I was feeling a lack of inspiration, or just, I was tired of what I was doing. I would spend a lot of time at, I don't know, photography exhibits, um, museums, various shows, whether it's masters or not, and mostly in Europe because I love small curated shows and the Mm. art is obviously easily available to lend, you know, without having it shipped across an ocean. Um, So sometimes it would be, you know, all self-portraits or from the Uffizi that were on loan or last year it was, oh, I don't even remember. There were, there were two. There's a small Picasso one that talked, it was like Picasso and his women, which was an interesting one. Mm, um, but the, yeah. you know, so, I know, I know. So it was a lot of things sort of like that. Oh, and then Frida was last year from, that was from Mexico city. And I saw it in uh, Budapest, but oh, I'd love I, to go there. I'd love to go to Mexico city. No, it was so, it was fascinating. I mean, well, it was just, it was just fascinating um, because I love a good, well curated exhibit, but that's what I used to sort of, fill the well and look at, I don't even know what I get from it. Look at what other people are doing. I'm like, look at other people create things and it's not about me and it's not even about my life or anything like that. It's just a completely sort of different worldview from somebody else who moved through their entire life very differently from how I live mine. Um, But well, that notwithstanding, what is it that you think that you get from it? Is it the camaraderie of the people itself or nowadays, or is it the art 
as well? I think both. I think both. And I like beautiful things and I like emotionally impacting things, you know, and I'm not afraid of being, um, not attacked. That's not the wrong, you know, um, Oh my gosh. Open to. Yeah. I'm just receptive to what it, yeah. Yes. I'm I'm not, I'm not opposed to being, uh, I can't think of the word, but, but Mm -hmm. I'm okay with an emotional knee jerk reaction, Reaction. you know, like Mm -hmm. I don't mind if I feel that the painting is aggressive as long as I feel something, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, Mm -hmm. but you know, travel has been travel and people, back in the day, uh, incredible inspiration. You know, I was called to to Cuba. I've been wanting to go to Cuba for a long time. And I was not wrong because when I got there, I loved everything about it. And I wish I had stayed longer. And as you know, I went to go live in London for four months and that was amazing. And then found myself in Italy. I had two shows there that just happened, you know, and mm-hmm. um, that was exciting, and meeting those people, but just being surrounded by beauty and 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 nature. You know, I don't paint nature. You know, I don't paint right. landscapes and things like that. But right. I'm certainly inspired, and they certainly do find their own way into my work. Um, and no, when in doubt, I just I just get on you know Instagram and I look at everybody else's work so I can get a jolt if I feel like I need to. Right. But again, Mm. if it's not happening, it's not happening. And that's when I really learned how to relax Mm -hmm. Um, because there's nothing I can do. I'm not that every day. Get up at, you know, like writers, a lot of writers, Hemingway, (laughs) all that. What? Up, they're right, five hours a day. And then there are, you know, that's not me. You know, that's never been me. I don't have that discipline. I wish I did, but I don't. I'm not a very disciplined person. Oh, that's so funny. So I have a high <laughs> level of discipline. So I am that person and uh, it is what it is. But um, yeah, exactly. It makes me happy. But so can I ask you about the call to travel? Because it's only in the last couple of years. So I'll say this. So I was sitting in, I think, in Budapest where my son and I were walking or talking or who knows what we were doing. And I was saying to him, I was like, oh, you know, I've always wanted to go to Poland. And he looked at me and he goes, so why don't we just go to Poland? And I looked at him and I was like, Okay, you know, and I bought a plane ticket and went. But there are some places that I've been called to, and in all of the circumstances, there was something about it that I was like, "Oh, I'm meant to be here." And I felt that mm-hmm. way about Poland, which is kind of weird and bizarre, maybe. But I, I got there and I was like, "Oh, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be when I was looking for, it, and it's delightful." And there's so much I like about this, um, but it's uh, ephemeral. I can't always explain it to people because it's true about like Poland, but also true about South Korea and sort of random locations for me. Um, but what was it about Cuba or how, well, COVID notwithstanding, what made you heed the call to go to these places that sort of felt like they called you? Well, A, I wanted to get the hell out of here. So there was was that and I have the time so I could. And, um, I think it's just heart-centered places, you know. I'm inspired by the culture and the music and the food and the art, of course, but I had no idea until I got there how, what an incredible artistic place 
Cuba is. And I happened mm-hmm. to be there, um, I think it was the 13th Biennale. So, wow, what a surprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything right. was open, all the studios, all the galleries, all the printing shops, music, everywhere. I was just felt so lucky. And because I don't plan anything, I had no idea that was <laughs> taking place when I got there, you know. Right. So that's how I travel. Um, but here's the thing with travel and places. Like, I have to physically feel it. If I'm not physically feeling it, I need to leave. Like, I know what right. feels good to me and what doesn't. So, I mean, a perfect example is every time I go back to Los Angeles, you know, I feel mm. open. I can physically feel my chest expanding, opening up, and a sigh of relief, like, like yay, I'm here. I feel the same right. way when I go back to New York City, you know? Right. I felt a similar way in Italy, you know, and France, and Cuba, and Mexico. I've always loved Mexico. It doesn't matter where I go. I've always loved being in Mexico. So mm-hmm. to me, I sort of look, oh, these are like passionate heart-centered places. You know, London's fantastic, but it's a little closed up, don't you think? It is. I So I will say this. I have a, I don't want to say a love-hate relationship with London. A love, I'm not sure a relationship. But I went, um, I guess it was probably 2018 because I haven't gone anywhere in a while. And I went in 2018 yeah. and I tried to, <laughs> I know. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it differently this time. And there was something about 2018 where it felt more I felt more of the magic that I've always that I the last time I felt was the 90s in London but in between it just felt so businessy and you know all the cranes and the construction or whatever I mean yeah. into that but it was just finally maybe because I spent some time in the West End and I went to the theater and we did some other things it just felt different and I also stayed in a different neighborhood for the first time I usually stay in Knightsbridge mm-hmm. and I was like maybe I should try another neighborhood um you know, other than the one I've stayed in for the last 20 years. So it's, uh, it's interesting. London, I have a, I don't want to say I have a love hate relationship in the other place that I can't, to be, to be honest, I can't crack is Amsterdam. So I, I went probably 2018 as well, maybe 2017. Uh, it's hard to say, but cause they run together and I went to Amsterdam and I was like, well, I'm going to try it one last time because I love the museums and I do, um, you know, the Rakes Museum, the Museum of the Realm. Mm-hmm. And I think they have some wonderful things that I wanted to see again because I hadn't been there in some time. But I, there's something about Amsterdam that I just don't get. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel open to me. And it's actually, I think um, the Netherlands has the highest per capita number of people living alone, which really? is interesting. because Yeah, they had special COVID rules in the beginning about, um, because that's hard. I mean, you know, to to shut down and then everybody also be alone was hard. Um, So they're one of the first countries that developed rules about socializing in pods and things like that. But it was, but there's something to me that always feels lonely. And I've gone in the winter and I thought, well, it's wintertime. Then I went in the summer and I thought, oh, it feels the same. Um, And that's a city I just can't, or even the country, like I just can't crack the code like I get there and I think this doesn't feel necessarily comfortable it's not bad or anything it just it just doesn't feel open yeah, it doesn't feel and right get, in your body it doesn't feel right, right for you and that's okay so don't go there again no I won't I think I'm done <laughs> I was talking to somebody about that recently because there's two places I don't love and what the other one is actually Paris and I was in Paris last year last year yeah it was last year and 
I texted my friend and I was like, this is a picture of me in Paris. I am here for one hour. I'm now going to leave. And I was dropping myself. Uh, and then I went to, I went to Nice and I was like, which was okay, but France is not my place. And I don't know. I've tried to shoehorn myself into it because everybody's like, but it's France. And I'm like, okay. And I've like, I'm going to try Southern France. I'm going to try, you know, this region or that region. And it's not my place. And I finally last year, let it go. And I thought there's a big world out there and this doesn't have to be my place. Um, but oh it's, my God. it's, in, it's interesting to make, I finally was able to make those decisions and travel places where I love it and without explanation, <laughs> you know, like exactly. I don't love Japan, but I love Korea. I mean, it's just, there's so many places I've been where I'm like, I, I, I went because I will always go somewhere new because I got to see it myself, but then I might not go back and that's okay. Like somebody's like, would you go back to Japan? And I was like, I might take my son cause he's never been, but it's not my place. I know a lot of people love it, but it's sort of not for me. And there's no reason for me to go back because I'd rather go do these other 13,000 things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, you know, I was all set for this big adventure, you know, to go travel mm-hmm. the world for a year. I was going to give myself a year um, and, and see what happened, you know, see what happens right. creatively, see who I meet, see how I grow, see what I mm-hmm. discover, you know, mm-hmm. um, and maybe potentially find a new place to live out there in the world because I can now, you know, I have a son now that's 23. He's doing right. really well. Um, and that's it. It's just me. I can just pack right. up and go. So, and everyone's like, but what about your painting? And what about your studio? And you do this massive work. And I'm like, well, that's probably all going to become really different. Maybe I'll just take photographs. Right. Maybe I'll illustrate a book. Maybe I'll interview people and do a documentary. Like I have no idea. Right what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm remaining open open with curiosity, right. To see what's going to happen. But now I've been like, you know, like all of us, (laughs) I know breaks have been put on that, but I haven't changed my mind. I'm still moving in that direction. And, um, that might be an interesting, that might be an interesting story because I am literally going to let go of everything except for, you know, probably have to get a storage unit for my art, but I'm going right. to, I'm going to let go of everything, the house, all of it. I'm, there won't be a house to come home to. So if I want a home, I'm going to have to go find someone someplace else, you know? And no, and I've had, yeah, that's I've scary, had scary and exciting, scary and exciting out of my box. I think it's, but I think it's exciting. I mean, I've had a friend, well, we were just, we were just on Zoom who did this. We had talked about it. We were in San Francisco, maybe like four or five years ago. I don't know. And we were talking about how to find that place that feels like home. And I told her, we were talking about, she was like, well, what happened when you got to Budapest? And I was like, I got off, I would, actually, I got off a train because I'd come from, uh, where was I? Uh, Czech Republic before that. But I come from Prague and I got off a train and I thought, oh my God, I found it. Like, because I had been looking for like 10 years. Mm. I kept going from city to city to city, which is why I was in Amsterdam. Because I have people like, you'll love the Netherlands. You should move there. And I was like, I don't know. And then I was like driving to the north of England and people were like, you would love Scotland. And I was like, this is delightful, but I don't think I'd want to live here. It seems kind of, you know, it seems cold. Uh, I have a friend who lives there now and it is cold. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there were so many places I kept and I was like, and I really loved Portugal, but I didn't think I could live there because they move a little slowly for me. It's sort of like Italy in terms of getting things done. 
which mm-hmm. is fine, but not for me. Um, yeah, so it does I, take, it does take a long time to get something done in Italy. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I personally could not live that way. I'm, you know, it's fine. I visited and it's delightful, but I would not live there. So I, there, I kept going from country to country and then I landed somewhere and I had a friend who was sort of doing the same thing. And I think she eventually bought a house and uh, apartment, whatever in Bath in England, but it hit, oh. we talked about how, how it takes a while to sort of, you know, get to that place where you're like, oh, this is a place where I want to be. But the exploration was actually quite enjoyable. And a lot of my friends who've moved abroad, um, some who just moved recently, (laughs) um, have talked about that, like just looking, being willing to travel and looking for a place that will serve you, whether it's creatively, which is most of my friends, because that's the reason they can travel, because they work for themselves or from home, or just that gives you that feeling, whatever the feeling is that you're looking for, that gives you that. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was, it's been, it's an interesting journey to take. And I know many people have done it and I don't know a single person who's regretted it. (laughs) Yeah. I think it would be a very incredible learning experience for me. And what a cool thing in my fifties, you know, to be able to, I don't know, just go out on a whim and see what happens. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's really what I want. And you know, you, you work, you're a parent, you raise your children. And then here I am. What have right. I got to lose? You know, what am I waiting for? I don't want to be sitting here in this house in the next 10 years. I really don't. You know, you know and that's, this is so fascinating because this is something my therapist probably said to me two years ago. I was talking I love, about something. I love therapy. Love it. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with it, which is a different conversation. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an internal excavation I don't, don't always want to do. But yeah. one of the things I had, I think it was, I don't know, I was reading some book at the time. And I, the, I don't know if it was nonfiction or fiction, but whoever the protagonist was, was saying that she had wanted to do something at 45. And then she looked up and she was 55 and she regretted it. And my therapist looked at me and she was like, do you want to wake up at 55 and regret it? And I was like, no, what do I need to do today to change my life? (laughs) You know? Um, Well, here's the thing. Here's my thoughts on that is that it only happens when it happens. You can say something like that, but you know, your experience is only going to happen when it happens. We can take action, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer that it lines up when it lines up. Otherwise it would have already happened. (laughs) I do, you know, I'm only right here right now. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure where I'm going to be a week from now. I doubt it's going to be on this couch, but it may be, you know. Um, Wait, are you on the ochre couch? I am on the ochre couch right now. I thought it was the most appropriate place to be because I had done yet another curation above the ochre couch. For, yes, I loved it. <laughs> thank you for the ending of the Austin Studio Tour, which um, is a big deal here in Austin, Texas. Uh, a lot of artists support themselves this way. And it's a studio tour that happens two times a year, once in the spring and once in the um, fall. So mm-hmm. obviously nobody's going into anybody's studio. So there's right. outdoor art set up and all that. Well, I'm not someone that can bring out all my art and put that, put it on an easel and have people drive by, you know, A, right. I don't, I don't want to do it. You know, it's a lot mm-hmm. of work. So, um, so I decided to curate what I have above the yellow couch. And the reason it's the yellow couch is because 
I had done a video with one of my clients just talking about the process of what it's like to um, be commissioned to do a portrait. Mm -hmm. What is the relationship right. between artist and client to get this done? So I thought that would be an interesting video to do for this mm -hmm. tour, right. which is something I really didn't want to do and had great resistance in doing it until I had the idea. And the idea came after the deadline, of course, to get the video <laughs> on their site, even though I'm still right. part of the, I'm still part of the tour. Um, right. I'm just like, I'll put it up on my own site. Cause I don't want to be bogged down or upset by these, you know, teeny tiny little details such as deadlines, you know, right. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll put it up on my site. It might be interesting. So I did it. That was a big deal for me to sit in front of the camera and talk and, um, uh, but when we did it, I was like, wow, look at the couch there. I haven't had the, I haven't had furniture in this room in two years, maybe three years. And so just to see a couch back in the living room was like, oh, that looks so comfortable and inviting. It, and, it does, know. actually. Yeah. And now I'll just um, put up some art. So I keep changing it. And the discovery is how much stuff I've got, you know, down mm -hmm. one because somebody bought something last week. So, you know. I've got one less piece of art now. So, uh, <laughs> I, yes, I am sitting on the okra couch for our podcast. Anyway. It's, really, it's really nice. No, it looks, it actually looks comfortable. Um, so that's going to be my last question for you for today. Cause I could, I could talk to you for three hours, but, um, I, I have found that not everybody likes that, but I want to thank you so, so much, um, for taking the time to talk to me and, um, talking about the creative process. So I will, so I'm speaking with again, Elizabeth Decker and um, I'll have her website and social media um, in the show notes, as well as a link to the Melancholy Girls, which I did see and um, is out there in the world still. Oh my gosh, and, it is. Uh, but it's on my, that, that, that actual website that's in the book has long yeah. since perished. So yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So but the, just go to my website. Yeah. Yeah, it's there. Um, but thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. I'm, I'm very honored. I'm thrilled. It's just so great to be able to connect with you throughout the years. I really, really, really enjoy it. And as soon as I can, I'm going to get on a plane and come see you. You will, you will take guests, won't you, on a porch or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Although right now a porch has an old bicycle that I'm trying to sell. But yeah, that was yesterday. I was like, why do I have two bicycles in the vestibule? Something's got to go outside. Yeah. Can um, we come sit on your porch? Absolutely. We can look at the squirrels, which have actually become quite interesting. I spend more time looking at them than I ever did before because I'm like, wow, I'm home a lot and they have a really quite active life out there. Um, I know. It's, it's kind, of, kind of freaky what we're noticing these days. It's the big internal cleanse, I think. I think people are really looking at themselves and reevaluating how they want to step out into the world when they can. I think a lot of that's going on right now, and I'm one of them. I know, so am I, because it's really, I've never had so much time to think about everything. And once I got over the uh, certain I was a little depressed about it. Of course. Um, for, especially over of the, course. because I, you know, you know, I had to cancel a lot of plane tickets, but I, um, once I sort of got over that, I've had some time to well reflect, self-reflect and exercise again. I've been biking outside and not spinning in a gym, um, but back to, uh, self-reflection and it's been, it's actually been okay. Once I got over the fact that I couldn't really go anywhere, 
Um, especially even with the fires, I was going to drive up the coast, but that didn't happen. Once oh, I got, fires. I know, once I got over that aspect of it, it's it has gotten better. It has gotten better because I can see more clearly now um, maybe what I need to change and what I'll need to do going forward. And the, all the busyness that I used to do um, is has certainly cleared out. So I'm not getting in the car, driving somewhere, doing this errand, getting on a plane, getting off a plane, getting, you know, Mm-hmm. All of without all of that, there's a lot more time to think, which I didn't enjoy in the beginning. I'm not saying I'm enjoying it now, but it, I, I feel like it'll be purposeful and useful in moving forward in the future. Uh, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. I agree. I agree. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Talk soon. This is Amy Austin, who also writes as Sylvie Fox. This has been A Time to Thrill, the podcast. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It will help others find and listen to my conversations with brilliant creators. Also, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. In addition to hosting this podcast, I'm also the author of the Casey Court series of legal thrillers. They're available wherever books are sold, your local library, and also an audiobook. You can also follow me on Instagram at Sylvie Fox. You can also find me on Facebook at Casey Court Series or A Time to Thrill. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with you soon with more great conversations. Mm-hmm.